When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. This is Simon Rose. You join me for the first Bigger Picture of the new year, where I'm in conversation with Mike Indian, political commentator, author of the Groucho Tendency blog. So where do we begin 2023? Well, we begin with... Interestingly, a poll I saw over Christmas, and it's something that intrigued me, and perhaps you could say it it highlights perhaps either that the public are incredibly astute or they are ignorant of how politics works. And I'm going to go with the former on this and this is the expectation that they this is a poll done i think it was by ipsos mori that they found about 50 percent of people expected there to be a general election in Mm. 2023 now for a practical reason there's very little to uh expect there would be not least of all because the government has uh the prime minister has complete control over winter corn election the government has a stable majority of just under 70 seats, 69 at the moment, eroded slightly by some recent by-election losses. And um, Labour has a very large poll lead, so there's nothing to persuade uh, the government to go to the polls of their own volition. Mm -hmm. But we have had uh, this week two major speeches, one from Rishi Sunak, one from Keir Starmer, that have highlighted their pledges their sort of vision for the year ahead and it's been taken by a lot of journalists to read as a reading that the election campaign has started that we're into what sophologists call the long campaign for the next general election Hmm. i would still expect this to happen in the latter half of 2024 given the economic figures as well but i think it's a good place to start by looking at what the Prime Minister and the Labour leader highlighted in their speeches as being the the major points on which they want to open this year with, because this is going to be a challenging year economically, the context of the, the Office of Budget Responsibility, expecting the uh, UK economy to shrink by 1.4%. The longer-term perspective is that we are expecting to see low levels of growth of no more than, say, 1.6% up until the latter part of this decade. And even Mm -hmm. then, it would struggle to reach 2%. So it's interesting to see what what each of the main leaders is pitching at as well. So let's start with Rishi Sunak. And so he's been prime minister now for just over 70 days as we record this, so not quite three months yet. It's fair to say that he has applied himself, I think, to a few major problems in government. He hasn't really behaved like a prime minister. But by this, I mean that prime ministers tend to have to have a wide view of issues. They tend to have to skate across the surface and apply themselves 
strategically to problems in tactical interventions, but overall they tend to have to be big picture people. Sunak doesn't operate like that. He operates as being some, so far as someone who's like a chancellor, apply him quite deep methodical thinking to specific issues, not least of all the fallout from the mini budget and the small boats crisis as well. So this is this is the first time he's really given a speech in which he's kind of attempted to to paint a big a big picture. And he gave five promises. So five measures on which we should judge him this year as to whether like a performance review basically these if this is his end of year review he'd be mm. saying that these are my goals for next year so he pledged to halve inflation over the next uh 12 months because currently it's running at a record high of about 10 percent pledged to grow the economy and get its national debt falling overall which is a big challenge bear in mind that government borrowing the share of gdp is there's very little fiscal headroom in there uh, he also pledged to get NHS waiting lists falling and to have a new law to um, stop the migrant crossings in uh, on small boats. So looking at the first three, nearly all to do with the fiscal and the economy, unsurprisingly, cost of living is top of it. The first one... I would be surprised if he didn't achieve that goal. Uh, forecasts are already showing. Yes, I was going to say, that's what the forecasts are showing, yes. <laughs> inflation is coming down, but I think in terms of it's smart politics of him to set a realistic goal and then to over-deliver on that, I think actually yeah. putting that out there, realistically, most people aren't going to be following the Bank of England or the OBR forecast to the degree that we are. So inflation will still be relatively high, but I think it's, it's smart politics to set a goal and he could say claim he's over-delivered on that as well and, a good chunk of that will come out of things like the government's energy uh, package that inherited from Liz Trust. Growing the economy is going to be an issue because the Bank of England is forecasting quite a long recession, a shallow one, yes, but a long one that could potentially last until the end of 2024, unlike the Tory government in the 1990s when the economy actually was was growing by the time they left office and there was quite a good and strong inheritance for Labour. The issue is that Sonak faces the chances of going into the election campaign with little or no growth to show for it. National debt falling as a share of GDP, again, is incredibly challenging because there's relatively the, the fiscal headroom, the amount of leeway the OBR estimates that the Chancellor has within his spending forecast, his plans run out to 2028 is only eight billion pounds. That's nothing. That that can be eroded by a month of high government borrowing costs. NHS waiting times falling again, massive thing to deliver on. But again, I think something actually that he's right to identify as a priority. It's an ambitious one because the previous health secretary, but one Sajid Javid said these wouldn't fall until 2024. So the government's going to need to put its efforts into that. They've got in Steve Barclay, the health secretary, a man who's who's got incredibly methodical thinking and is, is taken quite seriously as a policy operator, but isn't renowned for having the best skills in terms of managing the difficult stakeholders within the NHS, particularly he's had tensions with the Royal mm. College of Nursing and the nursing unions as well. Last one, new law to stop small boats. This is the populist issue. This is the one that is in front of the minds of many Tory MPs, particularly on the South Coast. It's something that the Reform Party, who are the Conservatives' main threat on their right, are snapping at the heels, and they've seen a slight poll increase for as well. The, the issue, I think, could be with the last one is that 
Sunak set himself enough wiggle room, but I suspect that he'll come unstuck on a good chunk of these, including but not least of all the small boats one, because yes. that is a rather more complex issue that I would argue the immigration and asylum system as a whole needs yeah. wholesale reform. So you're saying he's probably going to come unstuck on them. They're not terribly ambitious to begin with. No, but I think he's he's got his finger on the pulse of the right issues. And I think in terms of where, you know, he's looked at where his party wants to be. Mm. Um, in a sense, I think he's trying to set realistic expectations for his premiership. Now, uh, part of this, I think, is addressing on cost of living is going to be the major issue. I think if the government cannot um, ease the pain that people are going through, because yes, the context of a shallow recession is nothing new, the length of the recession is not good, but we are due to see in this year and next year forecast a protracted drop in living standards. And what interested me actually was this, the sort of left field idea that Sunak came out with was the idea to have all people study mathematics until the age of 18. And I, I would say that improvement of STEM education is one tool of this. But again, I think ambition is, I think at the moment, setting realistic expectations in the run-up to an election is, is designed to shore up the Prime Minister's credibility. Mm. It's in, it's, it's it in, seemed odd, Mike, that he talked about mathematics when, as somebody pointed out to me, what he really means is numeracy. Yes, and I think the, the the three R's, as you know, going back to what my my parents were teaching, sort of yeah. reading, writing, and arithmetic, they are. I don't want to do Sonic down at the moment because partly because I think that he deserves a fair hearing in the country, and I, I'd appreciate this is probably me being slightly, to be blunt, to be harsh on myself, naive here, but there, you know. There is there is no there is no getting away from the fact that his two immediate predecessors had, particularly Liz Truss, made the country's situation remarkably worse. But that said, again, there is also a fundamental weakness in Sunak himself that he is not uh, a very political person. He is someone I think this this reader say is someone who. Is attempting to sort of convey a sense of um, deliverables to manage it, to manage mm -hmm. expectations of people, and it may be that people are looking for more drastic solutions from the government at this time. But I think the inflation target, particularly, is quite a smart one, and I think it would go a long way. The issue is, though, I think that his party may run out of patience, and there is there is a lot happening behind the scenes. Uh, particularly concerning in the run-up to the May elections, that the, the Tories are expecting probably one of their biggest droppings since the European elections in uh, in the early part of 2019, four years ago now. Uh, and then bear in mind that was, if we think about how many leaders they've had since then, they're on their fourth leader since then, which is absolutely mad, because that's what did for Theresa May in the end. The, the, there is another prediction which we're going to touch on later, but Sunak has to cement his authority over over the party, and he he got to where he is by I think being quite prepared to be honest with people about the, the situation, the difficult situations there. But the, the trouble is, once you're honest with a, with somebody, you then have to start coming up with solutions. And 
if the Prime Minister gets through this year and he's able to prove to his party and its base that he can deliver, particularly, I think, on issues like the small boats, which, although it doesn't seem like a an important issue for us to, to, to MPs, it is, and they're still his most important constituency at the moment, then I think they'll row in behind him as well. Uh, but th- this, again, reflects an issue that, unlike... Um, MPs in the past, like Margaret Thatcher, they, they, there are not Tory leaders in the past. There is not a significant amount of Sunakites on the backbench. He doesn't have a devoted following who will rally around him, and there is the suspicion deep down that perhaps a lot of Conservative MPs will make a calculation that as early as May, that if he isn't delivering, that they have to change their leader yet again and look to someone who is a proven election winner, which in this case would feed into this repeated talk about Boris Johnson making a comeback yeah. that I know we're going to discuss later on. Yes. Well, let's, we probably ought to um, look at what um, uh, Keir Starmer said in his uh, newer speech, but let's just take a breather uh, before I give you a chance just to, uh, to pause for a moment or two. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with Mike Indian. Uh, now, Mike, we're, we've been talking about Rishi Sunak and his aim for the new year. What about uh, Keir Starmer? I mean, you were saying last year that he really needs to start coming up with some some policy ideas rather than simply being not the government. Well, there is an issue here. So I'm, I've been reading over Christmas, um, kind of fulfilling my my love of labour history that started when we we did our, our series together a few years ago Simon about the history of the Labour Party which is yes. available on Share Radio as a shameless plug for that but but um reading the biography of Harold Wilson that's been come out and it's by Nick Thomas Simmons who is a close uh, not only a senior Labour MP but also a close ally of Keir Starmer and Keir Starmer is the first Labour leader in my lifetime certainly to refer to Harold Wilson and to talk openly about his admiration for Harold Wilson as well. And there was a lot of Wilson in that speech. And it's hard not to read. I've just got to the part in the the book now, it's around the 1964 election, you know, similar period of Tory government, multiple prime ministers changing the government, looking out of date and out of touch with the country, where Wilson squeaked in with a majority of four. And you you could tell just reading those few paragraphs that Thomas Simmons is, as a historian, probably like myself in that regard, views Labour as in a similar position. And there was a lot of Wilson in Starmer's speech today that was very much focused on technology. It was very much focused on modernity and things like green development. And But also there was a certain technocratic element to it as well. And Starmer talking about these missions that Labour would set out to that would form the basis of their manifesto, not least of all around green energy. And so he's now starting to set out the big pictures. Today's big announcement from Keir Starmer was, I think, again, another smart politics one. I'd said previously that Starmer should co-opt the phrase take back control 
for the so like the Labour's devolution agenda. Well, that's exactly what he's done. He's announced what he is calling, and I quote, a take back control bill mm-hmm. that will devolve new powers over employment, transport, energy, climate change, housing, culture, childcare to councils, as well as more control over their finances. Now, I, I don't doubt for a minute that this is um, this has been on the on the thing for a while now, but it's 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 refreshing to see. Starmer again doing smart politics as well. A devolution can be a a very powerful tool for improving people's lives. Uh, what is interesting is that Starmer is also learning from the the lessons of Blair in '97, in the sense that he wants to say that there isn't going to be a return to to big government. He says Labour is not going to spend its way out of this. And there's, there's echoes here of Jim Callaghan in the in the late 70s hmm. talking about how the recession then you know you couldn't just spend your way out of it so for, the, for those keynesian rates around uh the cabinet side of cabinet table and on the back benches labor is seeking to prove again that it is fiscally responsible so you could say here that there is a lack of ambition but i would say actually in looking to alternative solutions starmer is seeking to identify that actually it can't just be the role of government to to prop uh people up and in that sense i think it would resonate quite well he wants to try and harness the power of private industry in getting on with this that is that said is that he, he looks as, as as a performer he looks and speaks with a great deal more confidence and authority than he does he's never a charismatic speaker but listening to him now you could certainly see that there was somebody here who feels labor is serious about governing i think this comes back to a my initial worry though that labor are going to need some eye-catching ideas they're going to need to show a that their sense of missions for what starmer called a decade of renewal can be delivered whilst at the same time accepting that government will have a limited role in this now Mm -hmm. in every major social transformation that's happened in this country it has been driven by an expansion of government uh, spending or government influence in lives. We look at, for example, during the First and Second World Wars, the post-war settlement as well, with the exception being Thatcherism in the 80s. That was the other way, that actually it was the expansion of private industry. And I think actually, in my reading of this, Starmer has made a mistake in ruling out the return to big government. Now, it might just be to do with language. It might be that Labour, I think Labour would spend more than the Conservatives would do but and there is a certain sense of this but equally i think people have gotten used to the idea of government playing a bigger role in their lives throughout the pandemic as well certainly look at the popularity of the furlough scheme uh, and i worry if starmer isn't quite tying his hands he didn't quite go so far as saying the government would stick to the tory spending commitments as well but that then puts pressure on the shadow treasury team and rachel reeves and as i understand it they are exercising a lot of control over the shadow teams within that. And I worry that if Labour are simply offering what the Conservatives say are empty slogans or simply offering more powers, it has to be down to opportunity. People might not find that a compelling vision either. That said, there is a mantra that governments lose elections rather than oppositions winning them. And, And we must remember that in 1997, Tony Blair ran on a very, in terms of policy detail, a very incrementalist manifesto, doing something similar to Sunak, setting those achievable targets that people could judge them on as well. 
I think Starman Road is somewhere in between the two. And don't forget that this this idea that Labour can win is is not even a year old yet. There is there is this this momentum that Labour mm-hmm. has gathered has largely been due to the Conservative Party having a, the extraordinary uh, implosion, only shielded by that parliamentary majority that Boris Johnson won in two thousand, mm-hmm. and and even then that's proven inadequate to prevent things like U turns on. Uh, banning offshore wind farms or you know channel four privatization that we'll t- we'll touch on again shortly but the uh, the labor leader is still missing that that momentum for change that tony blair had that blair could say like a like obama did in 2008 like blair did in 97 like wilson did in 64 that there was a sense that labor has captured the zeitgeist and the appetite and, and i don't know if there is if there is a form of words that could do that for him yet and I think the take back controls thing is is a smart move there as well. But by setting limitations on themselves this early on, I worry that actually what people are looking for is a little bit of inspiration from him. And, and I think that, that that's when Starman needs to let go of that more technocratic approach and to mm. learn from the popular touch that Wilson developed and that Blair had an intrinsic feeling for that was able to hide actually what was quite a cautious manifesto that was able to deliver quite a lot whilst accepting some degree of fiscal restraint. So there is a way of doing this, but I think Starmer has to look, has to be a little bit more ambitious in this way. But let's let's look and see what comes out in the year ahead. Otherwise, I worry that Labour will miss its best chance to return to power that it's had arguably since um, 2005. Um, you hinted, teased um, earlier about these rumours about Boris Johnson making a comeback, uh, which I confess I had not being as as well plumbed into the Westminster Village as you, I'd not even sort of heard these rumours. And it's slightly surprising, given that, I mean, all the problems Boris um, had, I mean, none of those have disappeared because they were so intrinsic to him. Well, we ha- we must remember that Boris Johnson is, is seen probably rather wrongly by a lot of people as, as being accepted to the normal rules of, of politics. No one has mm-hmm. talked about Theresa May or David Cameron or John Major making a comeback after they left office. Mm. There, there is their lone Liz Trust. You know, don't forget there are three former prime ministers now, all of whom have held office in the last six, seven years, sitting on the benches in the House of Commons behind Rishi Sunak. You know, this is something that no one has really had to contend with, arguably since Thatcher in the eighties. And, and even then, these, these, you know, even then there are. That is debatable about however how you know the degree to which the hostility comes from their own side mm-hmm. as well the the reason i think this is a credible thing to consider is there's a development yesterday so uh lord peter crudus who is a former treasurer of the conservative party has been a consistent uh presence in calling for boris to return as party leader is seeking to challenge the because uh, no no one would say, for example, that the Conservative Party is a democratic organisation. Members effectively, uh, if you go to their party conference, it's largely a corporate event. The members have one advantage in the fact that they tend to be able to select the party leader and the local candidates. But even then, CCHQ has an immense degree of control. So mm-hmm. Lord Crudus is looking at. Um, He's launching what's been described as a momentum-style organisation intended to overhaul party democracy. And if this sounds a little bit like what Tony Benn did in the 1980s to Labour, then you would be right, I think. I think that they are. There's almost a Bennite move here as well. They've got that same degree of a strong personality who is uh, 
uh, marmite people but you know is equally captivating and charismatic obviously I, I would never compare the great morals of tony blair to the moral vacuum that is boris johnson but they have a similar amount of sway and appeal among party members and there's that disconnect between the parliamentary party and which defenestrated johnson and the uh, the membership which a large chunk of it's clearly still enjoying forget, these are the same people that still put liz truss in as well despite her her incredibly questionable economic policies and, and ability because she was she ran partly as the heir to Johnson. The simple calculation could be, though, as I said, that Rishi Sunak fails to capitalise. That his he likes Starmer, I think, is something of a technocrat. He that Boris begins to look as as, as, as an attractive option to the Conservative Party in the wider country because of their. Lagging forms. I think his return it could be akin to say Kevin Rudd in in Australia, who was ousted an election when he was ousted by his deputy Julia Gillard, only to then stage a comeback when she was judged to be floundering and then was out of office a couple of months later. But to be clear, for my I think the Conservative Party would would forfeit any any claim to be uh, a credible party of government if it were to allow Boris Johnson to return. Yes, there's some people who argue that he did win an election majority, but I think he 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 forfeited that right to govern uh, as party leader and prime minister based on his conduct over the last three years for a variety of reasons and the contempt with which he treated his his country, his party, and the people around him as well. But that's not to say that my view would be shared by the majority of Conservative Party members. And of course, between elections, they are the most important constituency uh, alongside that of Tory MPs. So watch this space. Uh, could Boris Johnson be Prime Minister again by the end of the year? I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't uh, make a bet against it. Yeah, well, I don't think I'm going to head to Labrooks anytime soon. Um, Mike, thank you <laughs> very much indeed. We've uh, run out of time. I'd be interested in the odds, actually. <laughs> I might look it up. Mike, thank you very much indeed. Well, yeah, you get if you fancy it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's it, though, for this edition of The Bigger Picture. Um, my thanks to Mike Indian, political commentator, author of the Groucho Tennessee blog. And as Mike pointed out, we did do um, uh, a while ago a sort of history of the main political parties um, in the United Kingdom, which you can find on the Share Radio podcast um, library. So uh, do look those up, and particularly the Labour one that Mike was recommending. Mike, thank you very much indeed. That's it for The Bigger Picture. The Bigger Picture going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.